Welcome to the Global Council podcast, where we share our latest insights on recent developments in politics and policy in the UK, Europe and internationally. Hi, this is Stephen Adams, Global Council Senior Director in the GC office in London. I'm here today with Tom Smith and Julia Corsi from the GC Public Services and Healthcare Practice. And we're going to talk about um, a blog that you just published, Julia, on um, a development in the UK healthcare ecosystem called NHS X. Just tell us what the X stands for. Um, the X stands for user experience. Right, okay. So we're going to talk about NHS X, why it's appeared, what it represents, what it might portend in terms of the way the NHS innovates. But before we get on to that, clearly NHS X is intended as a solution. So Tom, just Tell us what the problem is. Well, I suppose taking a, a long-term view at this, the problem is that the NHS historically has been built for a very different purpose than, than what uh, patients expect of it today. Um, in the, the 40s, 50s and 60s, it was a, a very decentralised organisation. It was split between uh, loads of different local areas that were managing their own discrete services at a local level and it wasn't the the unified um, service that people think of it as. Um, Hospitals did their own thing, GPs um, remain private practitioners in the private sector, Uh, the same goes for pharmacists, dentistry was outside and so today you get a patchwork of provision where um, acute health care doesn't talk to social care it doesn't talk to, to pharmacy and community services. There's a lot of unintegration across the system, and that's reflected quite acutely in how um, they don't share data uh, between themselves as to what's going on. So ultimately, patients have to start carting around their own uh, clinical records with them to save each different part of the system having to look up their, um, their records every time they go and see them. And part of this problem is a reflection of um, the different types of service that the NHS needs to provide. In the past, it was communicable diseases and, uh, and acute emergency services. Now it's a lot of comorbidity and, and long-term conditions that need managing, so people need a very different um, service from, from clinicians than they did 30, 40, 50 years. To say a little bit more about how the clinician's role changes when that's the, 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 with that shift in the profile of, of, of problems... I suppose the main thing is that they they can't see their task as being in isolation. It isn't just a a discrete problem where they're prescribing a pill or or a course of treatment uh, and then the patient goes on their way and it's all solved. They are interacting in a a broader system where the patient's social care provision, what they're doing in the community has quite a substantial bearing on on their health outcomes uh, more broadly and, and clinicians across the system need to be uh, aware of that and to be aware of that they need to have access to the information that tells them what that patient is doing. What was it that actually, before we get on to you know, this century, um, what was it that actually drove that or, or built that decentralisation into the structure of the NHS from the beginning? Was it just because it was put together from a patchwork of pre-war local healthcare provision? I mean, why, why, did, why did you end up with that decentralised start to the NHS model? Ultimately, yes. No, no one's ever built from from scratch a, a national healthcare system like that. And I'm, I'm not sure any other 
uh, country has where, where everything's run from the centre. Um, politically, it was sold as that in the 40s, 50s and 60s, but um, government had, had to do a lot to cajole general practitioners in particular to, to buy into this system. And it's it's been a, a long series of, of mediating these various vested interests across the different clinician groups to, to get them to go here into a system uh, and then present it as a, a complete package to, to the public. Right. So, so Tom's described the problem of decentralisation. The problem of decentralisation is in part the problem of the ability to move information around the system effectively. Why is that a problem for innovation? Right. Um, Well, it's a problem for innovation because technology, you know, selling point is that it can take huge amounts of clinical data and, you know, for example, predict risk. So if you are missing, say you are at risk of, I don't know, uh, a heightened risk of cancer, if you're missing key information point that is, you know, your immediate relative passed away before the age of 60 because of breast cancer, the the predictive part of that technology doesn't work. So the, the, pro- the problem is extract, essentially extracting big data from a system that's very bad at not just moving data, but presumably pooling data yeah, as well. Absolutely. Okay, so how does NHS X propose to solve that problem? So I guess the buzzword or buzz phrase around all of this is that they're trying to get the basics right, um, which is part of the the topic of the blog. So what are the basics? So the basics are, I I don't want to say as simple as, but essentially the skeleton of the NHS, the the data infrastructure needs to, to be interoperable, meaning that it needs to allow other technologies, not necessarily developed by the NHS, but even private providers, to plug into it. And if you can't get that basic right, it's very hard to then just start piling innovation on top of innovation because the system won't support it. So a really good example of that is the new NHS app. So Matthew Gould as his first you know, coming out blog as a CEO, was saying, we don't want it to make it super, super complicated. It just needs to have sort of very basic functionality of, can I book an appointment? Can I input my, my date of birth, my you know, uh, address, etc.? And then other innovators can use the basic infrastructure behind that and the so-called backend to then plug into products that they would be using to, to help patients manage their own care as well. Okay, I mean, one obvious question might be, why are we not doing this already in the UK? So, I mean, what, how, how is this different to what we're doing already? Why is this different to NHS Digital, for example? Right. Um, I, there is, and there inevitably will be, overlap. I think the the key differentiator between NHSX and NHS Digital is that NHS Digital hasn't previously set policy, so they do a lot of 
management of IT systems and they kind of help in-house teams manage that you know data sharing in-house or even with you know external suppliers and they also hold a lot of data in terms of you know the statistics that we get like waiting times etc they are sort of the guardians of it but they haven't set any policy specifically to how providers and the wider NHS, whether they be private providers, interact with each other. Because I don't think that there is a sentiment of, that there, there is an understanding that they do need to work together. Okay. I mean, for, for private sector innovators in the healthcare space, I mean, clearly it's been a perennial issue with them uh, how effective and easy it is to engage with the NHS, how prime the NHS is for innovation. As you say, one of the things they'll be looking for here is the capacity of NHS X to help the NHS get the basics right in terms of the way it moves information around the system, builds big data pools that can then be exploited by predictive technology, etc. Is there anything else that they'll be looking for from NHS X, you think? Um, well, they'll be looking at, you know, what, what standards the, 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 the unit is setting in order to engage with the NHS organizations um, in terms of, like, best practice sharing or even things like, you know, the way that data is collected because that is also an, an issue because if you don't collect it in the same way then it's increasingly harder to, to link it. Yeah. But you're... The picture you're painting here is a picture of an, of an agency whose function isn't going to be at the sexy edge of healthcare innovation. It's mm. going to be very much about getting some of the basics right in terms of the way the system is structured for innovators to then work on top of. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Okay, Tom, so how likely is it to succeed and how will we know if it has? Well, we probably won't know for a, for a couple of years, and um, there are some who think that this is uh, a bit of a fad that's um, the focus of the current Health Secretary, Matthew Hancock. Um, how long he's going to be in that post is, um, we'll, we'll find out at the end of the month uh, with the, the result of the Conservative leadership contest. Whether the next Secretary of State has such a focus is um, up for grabs. Uh, but having a, an ambitious CEO in Matthew Gould is is no bad thing, and he will have uh, the remit and the clout to uh, shape the agenda for uh, for the next few years. But no money, right? And no serious capacity to enforce NHS X's preferences in terms of standardisation best practice. So you take an agency with no money and no enforcement capacity. What other tools does it have? Well, I think that's actually quite a good balance for a, a unit such as NHSX. We've seen um, the government take other approaches to this in the past few years. It threw a lot of money at things like the National Programme for IT and tried top-down, standardised national reorganisation of the digital landscape. That clearly didn't work. Um, more recently, NHS England has tried local innovation through the Global Digital Exemplars and other programmes, and they provided a lot of 
fresh ideas of how things might work in the future, but none of them are particularly unified and there's been uh, slow uptake across the system. So if anything, this might serve as, as the right balance between those approaches. It, it provides the framework for sharing best practice and um, helping private providers understand what is needed and how they can interact with local organisations. But it doesn't try and impose things on local commissioners and clinicians. And that's probably the, the big cultural thing that everyone's got to watch out for, is this needs to be sold in the right way to the NHS on the front line. Uh, and it needs to work for, for those clinicians, otherwise people just, just won't use it. I mean, is there a sense in which the risk of putting too much central money behind this kind of initiative is that you do get top-down solutions almost by definition. And in the NHS case, those often don't work. Exactly. And um, we've seen this across the public sector where there's a heavy reliance, almost a capture by, by phenomenally large providers um, that it's very difficult for the public service itself as a decentralised system to actually have any influence over what's done and, and you end up wasting a lot of money. So there's a balance here that's being struck here between top down and bottom up. Do you think there's also a sense in which there's a balance being struck here between the role of public and private input into the system? I think so and I, I think over the past couple of years there's been um, an implicit debate about whether the government should be developing a lot of these tools itself and the NHS app is is a good example of that. I, I think this strikes the balance that the government does want tech companies, big and small, to be a solution for the NHS and, and to develop their products here, uh, and that they won't do too much themselves or in-house. Um, so the, the structure is going to look a bit like how the NHS interacts with the pharmaceutical sector. There'll be a lot of guidance and um, spending frameworks on, on what they want but ultimately it will be up to uh, profit making <coughs> entities to decide what they're, uh, what they're developing. Right. So this is not a cure for decentralisation it's really about making decentralisation work better. Yes. Great. You can read Julia's blog uh, on NHSX on the Global Council website which is www.global-council.co.uk for more insights, blogs and analysis, you can visit our website www.global-council.co.uk and subscribe to our mailing list. You can also follow us on Twitter at global underscore council. <laughs>